Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode. Of course, this is the first time you'll be listening to this specific show, but welcome back to Fanhole's podcast. And this is going to be an introduction to a brand new show on the Fanhole's podcast network. And we have decided to spin off into our own specific focused show based on comics. Obviously, we all love talking about comics, and we thought it'd be a good idea to do this. But we we had lots of different kind of segments and and different types of tacks we like to take when we discuss comics. And I think we were all trying to come up with a way to put them all under one banner. And so what I ended up doing was we went back to some of our old comic sidecasts and everything that we used to do. And one of the sort of monikers that we had for the old video comic sidecasts was, of course, Sam Jackson, whether he was Nick Fury or the guy from unbreakable or whatever you know and he would just be sitting there on the title card saying you know comics motherfucker do you read them and so that's kind of what we decided this is going to be the banner for for our new fanholes show so it's going to be fanholes comics motherfucker do you read them and this is going to be the premiere episode of that and we figure we can put all kinds of different segments and and ways to cover comics you know you using this banner basically and so for this particular segment i am joined tonight by two of my fellow fan holes of course this is derek derek wc and why don't you guys give a shout out my fellow fan holes and let everybody know who's here tonight on this premiere episode Shit, fanhole, that's all you had to say. It's Mike. And this is Justin. Yeah, so so we're here tonight to discuss some comics, and both Justin and Mike have been really patient with me because for a long time I've been trying to come up with a way to have an episode that tied into the release of Suicide Squad. And of course, that's one of the ways we like to cover comics on this show is to sort of have movie tie-ins that sort of loosely deal with the movie but also give us a chance to discuss the original comics that movies are based on and stuff like this so in some sense this is of course one of our loosely veiled attempts at tying into a film that is going to be released in cinemas specifically the suicide squad film that should be in theaters right around the time you're releasing this 
But I, I also kind of had another caveat to what we were going to do tonight. So, and, and the guys were patient with me. But basically, like, what we're going to call this segment moving forward, and I feel like I've got a finite amount of comics that I can use with this segment, and I'm sure everybody does, but I thought it'd make for some interesting discussion and, you know, a look at sort of the history behind what you were doing and, and what was going on when you were reading comics and everything. But we're going to call this Stories from the Spinner Rack. And so in some ways, this is pretty much influenced by Rob Kelly over at the Fire and Water Network because he wrote his own book, Hey Kids Comics, True Life Tales of the Spinner Rack. And so the, the basic concept is... In our Stories from the Spinner Rack segment, we're going to be looking at comic books that we actually did not buy at, like, an official comic book store. Like, these were the comics that you had to get off the newsstand, or from Walden Books, or the Quick Stop, or the 7-Eleven, or the Thrifties, or, you know, the Safeway, or wh wherever it was that you could first find comics when you first got into the genre, and, and first got into sort of collecting, but didn't quite know that there was this magic place called the comic book store where you could buy back issues and you could, you know, basically get whatever you wanted every Wednesday. So I guess in another way, it, it kind of has put another filter on what we could choose. So basically what I asked the guys to do was come up with a comic book that you read, but that was also something that you got from the spinner rack but we're also trying to sort of loosely tie it into the Suicide Squad film release. So the other caveat that I threw in on them where they're like, God damn it, what, what are we going to do? Is pick something that kind of has a loose, vague tie-in to Suicide Squad. So we've got three different books tonight. And we'll be starting with the first book, which is a book that Mike brought for us tonight. And since we're all here and we're doing three different individual comic books, I feel like I would be neglect if I wouldn't also mention that this format kind of also is inspired by a wonderful podcast about comics on the Two True Freaks Network called Back to the Bins. So before we get into discussing the comics, I think we'll take a quick break and we'll play some trailers from those networks. And then when we come back, we're going to be discussing Batman Gotham Adventures number one. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in. Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Paul Spitaro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins along with my friends Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? 
Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. All right, we're back. So we're back and we're here to discuss the first of three comics that we're going to be discussing tonight that have a loose, vague tie-in to the Suicide Squad movie. And, of course, one of DC's premier villains is going to be in the Suicide Squad film. He is none other than the Joker. And, of course, I imagine this is the rationale that Mike used to pick his comic book for tonight. So I'll, I'll let you go ahead and take it away with Batman Gotham Adventures number one, and then we can come back and discuss it. Well, I kind of, like, taking your, like, you know, your caveats or your guidelines into consideration, I guess I kind of cheated a little bit, because, I mean, I did know, like, I, I knew, long since knew about comic book stores, like, when I got this issue, but there was, like, a, a CBS pharmacy, like, near where I lived, and they just, like... But when the time this comic came out, which was 1998, like I, I'd gone, I went into the CVS with my friends, like you know, every so often to like you know just get stuff like snacks and whatnot, and went with my parents. But they had a magazine section, but they installed like an actual spinner rack with comic books in it, like eventually, and like I, I would go in there and like I, I, they, they never really had a whole lot, but like they had, they had more like kids like things that were to a like lower age range i guess and that's why like this this comic is a like you know a, a tie-in to like batman the animated series basically so you know i saw this comic on the shelf and i was like oh well it was 1998 so that was like i think that was i forgot if what was on then if it was like the new batman adventures it must have been if this comic was out yeah, because the the character designs are yeah exactly. Batman like adventures. I wasn't sure if it was that was like towards the end of it and Batman Beyond was beginning, but I think it was probably like right in the dead center of like the new Batman Red Sky episodes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that was out, and I loved I loved that show. So I saw this issue, and it was like a number one issue, and I was like, oh cool, I'll I'll get this. And like I had I'd like you guys know that I've been like I I was like a Marvel zombie for most of my youth. You, like. And like the the only DC like influence I like basically had was like the Adam West Batman show and like Batman the animated series and like you know I I had seen like you know the original Superman movie and stuff like that so I didn't have a whole lot of DC like you know influence at that time and you know this is this is probably one of the first like DC comics I bought with my own money basically so that's probably why it's like important to me so I think that's I. I, it more or less conforms to your guidelines, Derek. But yeah. No, no, no. I think I think it's fine. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna be. A, I I was never intending to be a stickler about it. I just thought it'd be something fun. And the fact that you remember where you bought it from, and it was the CVS, and it was on a spinner rack. Like I don't care if you knew about comic shops. I know that was kind of my whole preamble of you know me trying to remember these things. But I'm sure. I'm sure there are some things, like, for example, like, I can think of something specifically because one of the tricks we used to have 
when we read about hot comics and you couldn't find them at the comic store. Like, I remember the first appearance of Cable came out, and it was New Mutants 87, and Wizard, like, declared it was a hot book. So you couldn't find it at the comic store. But where did I get it from? I got, like, a slightly beat-up, with a couple corners dent copy at a quick stop. So, like, to me, like, that counts as something I would talk about on this segment, you know, on this show. So, you know, to me, it's all good as long as it sort of is something that you bought that wasn't really at a comic store, you know? Yeah, like, I I think I would have to really think hard about what my actual, like, first comic I bought, like, somewhere was. Like, it probably was, like, at a Walden Books or some some now defunct bookstore or something. Well, like, I, I had received comics from, like, my older cousin as a child, but, like, the ones that I bought myself, like, I, I don't know, I'd have to really, like, research that. Like, I'd actually have to, like, dig out some stuff from storage and, like, look through it and be like, I think this was it, probably, based on, like, how degraded the paper was, yeah, basically. Yeah. But No, I mean, I, I, I think I would even, I would go so far as to be loosey-goosey enough with it. Like, it's like, if you got comics from your cousin, and I'm like, dude, I got comics from my aunt or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, if they were just sent to you. How are we to know if they came from a comic store? Yeah, or not? exactly. You certainly yeah. didn't get them from one, so that that's to be that's like fair enough. So that means someday we'll be covering the Jack of Hearts miniseries, and I'll be yelling my head off the whole time. <laughs> so that's what that means. But yeah, sweet. Well, anyway, uh, like I guess I should go into like a summary of this issue, and like yeah, like the, also when I was thinking about it, like you said, like we're trying to tie into Suicide Squad, so this is a Joker story. So I was like, okay, well that works out. So. But, uh, yeah, this is Gotham Adventures. I think it's volume two. Like, it's basically volume two of the animated series comics. Gotham Adventures number one, written by Ty Templeton, art by Rick Burchette. The story title is Joker with a price on his head. After the Joker murders the son of Douglas Reed, a Gotham City philanthropist and old friend of Bruce Wayne's father, Mr. Reed puts a bounty on the Joker's head. $50 million to whoever kills the Joker once and for all. After Batman captures the Joker, he's forced to take him into his personal custody as Arkham and the police station are mobbed by people seeking to claim this reward. Batman handcuffs the Joker to a railing in the Batcave to be guarded by Batgirl, while he and Robin are called on to investigate a clue from the Riddler. The Riddler lures the dynamic duo to him, having deduced that Batman has the Joker in custody. The Riddler plans on taking Robin hostage and using him as leverage to make Batman surrender the Joker to him and thus claim the bounty. Batman and Robin easily manage to thwart Riddler's ambush, although the criminal escapes. Meanwhile, the Joker manages to slip his bonds and knocks Batgirl unconscious. He makes his way up the Batcave staircase and into Wayne Manor, but thankfully he's knocked out from behind by Alfred before he can identify where he is. Alfred and Batgirl then drag the Joker back downstairs and tie him to a chair with duct tape. At the police station, a man arrives with the Joker seemingly in custody to claim the reward. However, when he is attacked by other citizens wanting to claim it, the man and the Joker merge together and are revealed to simply be Clayface, having shifted his form to fake the Joker's capture. Nightwing arrives on the scene and subdues Clayface. Back at the Batcave, Batman is attempting to locate the Riddler again by solving another of his clues, while the restrained Joker taunts him in the background. While briefly distracted and infuriated by the Joker's jibes, 
Batman suddenly figures out where the Riddler is hiding thanks to some inadvertent help from the Joker. He leaves again and apprehends Riddler, then hears about the Clayface incident from Nightwing. Realizing that the city will only get worse while this bounty on the Joker remains, Batman tells his allies to stay out of the cave and puts a new plan into action. Batman abducts Douglas Reed from his bed in the middle of the night and presents him with the Joker tied to a chair. He tells Reed that if he wants the Joker dead, he'll have to do it with his own hands. The Joker eggs Reed on, and although it looks like the Morning Father is about to choke the life out of him, Reed ultimately chooses not to become a murderer. In the aftermath, Douglas Reed cancels the bounty and instead uses the money to create a foundation named after his son that helps victims of violent crimes. Nightwing asks Batman if he would have stopped Reed if the Joker's life was truly in danger, and Batman replies that it would never have come to that as Douglas Reed was a friend of his father's and he, he knew him well enough. Nightwing is kind of dubious in Batman's trust in people, but everyone can breathe a sigh of relief that Gotham has settled back into a fragile peace once again. So that's, that's the summary I cribbed from somewhere. I think it was like some like comics wiki, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's like, it, it, it kind of, obviously it feels like something that could have been maybe some of it could have been adapted into an episode of the TV show, basically. Like, obviously there's like the Joker actually murdered someone. So they probably like, I guess like they, they, that kind of eased up on that in the red sky episodes. Like the Joker was like shooting and poisoning people and that. So, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot less strict than it was yeah. when it was on Fox kids. I mean, right. if it was on Fox kids, then they could have never done it, but it seems like it's somewhere in between like, you know, mask of the phantasm and return of the Joker level violence and yeah. the, the WB, the kids WB era. So uh, yeah, but, like, I really enjoyed this book, and, like, th I think the big reason why is because, it, like I said, it felt like an episode of the cartoon, and, like, the art by Rick Burchette, like, it, he really, like, captured, like, Bruce Timm's style, and the colors were really, like, bright and vibrant, so it looked like, you know, it sort of looked like, like, frames of the cartoon kind of come to life in comic form. So like I I really got a kick out of this issue and I was I was hoping that like I could find some more because I like I couldn't I guess like I when I went to my comic shop to see if they had any more of them like he had a few but like my the comic guy was kind of like I don't sell a lot of like you know the kids stuff basically like the adventures adaptations or whatever so I never really got a lot more of this series but like the CBS like tended to get some in like every few months or whatever so I did get a few other issues. Issues, but like this one sticks with me not only because it's like you know the number one issue but just generally like i like the artwork re-examining it like nowadays like i kind of laugh at a lot of stuff like some things in the like plot that don't make a lot of sense or are just kind of silly like i like ty templeton but like you know it's not clear it's not he clearly he's not writing for a like I guess he's writing for the audience like that I was basically at the time. I was like 14 or 15 when this comic wrote came out. So like I was probably not want to question some like plot decisions and stuff. But I love like all Batman does to restrain the Joker once he brings him to the Batcave is like handcuff him to a railing and then like it it turns out like the Joker has a fake hand so that's how he gets out of that. But it's it's hilarious because he leaves Batgirl to watch the Joker 
And then, like, he goes and talks with Commissioner Gordon, and Commissioner Gordon's like, you know, where's the Joker? And Batman's like, oh, don't worry, he's safe. And then I felt like he's saying, I've got your daughter watching him. Like, and then, like I, I was like, oh, oh, like, that's not good. Like, if you're, you were familiar with, you know, Barbara Gordon's history and, like, the, the real DC yeah, universe, yeah. that's probably not a good idea. But... Yeah, it, it, it's weird in that era whenever there was a flashback or a, a story that was set pre-killing joke and you saw a bad girl joker encounter whether it was like batman confidential and like there, there's the thing with kevin mcguire and and catwoman and they chase after each other but there's that scene where like batgirl's going through arkham and you know the joker's in the cell kind of eyeing her up and everything and you're you're always like oh like that's gonna lead to something really horrible and everything yeah and and then on, on top of that like I mean, Batgirl's kind of pwned, whether you're thinking of that or not. You know, yeah, it's like, like she, she goes she down basically from gets, one hit. Yeah, yeah, she gets taken by the Joker fairly easily. But then I guess, of course, you know, Alfred kind of saves her bacon. Yeah, with the, the the mighty dinner tray that he uses to like bash Joker over the head or whatever. But you know, dinner trays and duct tape. You know, Alfred's got all the weapons that you need, basically. Now, there's even, like, speaking of, like, that, like, there's something that, like, reminded me of, like, the killing joke where, like, when, when like, after Batman, like, leaves the Joker there with Batgirl and, like, they t him and Robin take off, like, it cuts to a, like, shot of the Joker or a, there's a panel of the Joker and he says, I guess it's just you and me. And he's got those, like, little, like, beady red eyes, like, that shot of him holding the gun, like, when she first opens the door and the killing joke. Like, so, like, that kind of reminded me of that. So, but uh, yeah, and I mean, otherwise, the rest of the issue, like like I said, it, it it's kind of by the numbers. I mean, you know, the the Riddler, like the Riddler and Clayface subplots are basically there to be like an action scene to like you know, so kids don't get bored, basically, and whatnot. I mean, the rest of it is like the the morality tale, I guess, is is i mean i get it but you know part of you is like yeah like someone better fucking kill the joker like okay and this guy's paying for it so like you know like i i know you you can't take the law into your own hands but like you know it's that stupid thing where like you know if batman had killed the joker yesterday this guy's son would probably be alive so you know but you know you you can't think about it in those terms i guess when you're reading like superhero comics I, I thought it was interesting they even bothered to have that commentary in the beginning where they talk about how when, you know, Douglas is obviously super upset that his son's been murdered and he basically says that, you know, Gotham City's liberal policies are what caused it. So it, it's not so much like he's blaming Batman, but at this point he's blaming the policies of the city that send them all to an insane asylum instead of, like, say, putting Joker on death row where he belongs, basically. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like nobody actually puts him on trial and, and finds him sane and then, you know, decides, all right, well, we'll legally send him to the fucking chair. Yeah, how does, that, like, it's like, how, how, does, how, that, does, you know? how does the Joker always get these, like, like hippie, like, psychiatrists, like the guy from, like, Dark Knight Returns? Right, or, right. Or, like, right. Harley Quinn or, you know, whoever else who are like, 
the Joker's just misunderstood. Right, right. Yeah, there, there's always that kind of stuff. What's funny is the, I, mean, the other... I, I totally misunderstood him when he was murdering me. Like, like, oh man. Well, you know, and and I I had the same thought you did when Batman like leaves the Joker in the Batcave with Batgirl just with like a handcuff to he's handcuffed to the railing, and I'm like that seems kind of unwise, Batman. You know, and sure enough, you know you're you're proven right because he's got the trick hand and he. He busts out and everything. I mean, there there were other things that I, I noticed in terms of... I, I don't know if this might interest you at all, Justin, but the, the businessman is named Douglas Reed, and his son's name is Glenn Reed. So it was hard for me not to think of, like, the way that, that Rick Bershay drew the son. I mean, he looked a lot like Brick Reed. So I'm sitting there going, oh, man, the Joker killed the fucking Green Hornet, man. Like, what what happened, you know? You know like, I didn't even think about that, yeah. <laughs> When uh, when Mike was talking about the Joker in his fake hand, I, in my head I was like, man, the Joker must have watched a lot of like Lupin the Third because that's one of his like big tricks when he gets <laughs> captured. Yeah, it, it does. It looks like that too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, the, the even the character design, like you could see a callback to something like that being influenced by one of those gags and everything. I I also thought that it, it might be fun to mention that when the Joker is in the Batcave. He starts singing to Batgirl to throw her off guard, if, if you want to use that as like a no prize or an excuse. So I thought it was funny that the, of the songs he sings, he starts off singing One for My Baby, which is a Frank Sinatra song. But then he's like, I can, he's like, that's all right, I can do modern, you know, and he's like, he's like, okay. And he starts singing like, should I stay or should I go by The Clash, you know? So it's like, it's like, he's just trying to like throw her off her game basically and that's maybe why he gets the the one up on on her but you, you know the the other thing that seems like you know besides the morality tale of is it you know is it legal is it moral to you know an eye for an eye like those type of things like there's also the the question of you know he actually offers 50 million dollars to somebody who actually succeeds in doing it so of course like you know the you know the intent would normally be oh let's ship joker back to arkham asylum but yet the 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 doctors call up commissioner gordon and they're like we don't think that's such a good idea and you see like the scene outside where they're all all these people are out there with pitchforks and guns and and all kinds of stuff like ready to it's like i'm gonna be the one that gets the 50 million you know like that kind of thing is going on it's like a dude like holding a super soaker in there too like i (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny yeah maybe it's filled with acid or something maybe he's trying to use like the joker's own gags against him or maybe he bought it from toy man or something i don't know but i thought it was I don't know. Well, I guess it's in it's in character for the way they portrayed like Nightwing on like the animated series. But I thought it was weird at the end where like Nightwing's like like you're too trusting of people, Batman, and Batman's like it would have never come to that. Like, but it does. I guess if because if this is the first issue, it may be fairly fairly recent in the show's history. So they they did start with that whole sort of animosity and you didn't quite find out the backstory on the animated series until a little later so maybe they were trying to sort of play that into the book even though it wasn't a major part of the plot i mean i I thought the plot was pretty reasonable i mean given that they had all these edicts it's like here's a story about the joker but we also want to throw like 
Clayface and the Riddler and the entire Bat family into it. I mean, for me, you know, what's interesting is I know you said you, you know, you bought this off the the spinner rack and everything. And, you know, obviously you, you were giving the extra caveat that like you knew about comic stores and stuff, but you just you found this one, you know, a little later in your comics career on a spinner rack and for me it's like oh i you know i'm like sitting there oh mike picked this so i could feel old because for me like i'm looking at the date and i'm like you know i would have been at loyola marymount at that time so i'm like thinking to myself well if i did buy this because like I, I couldn't remember like the cover looks so like familiar to me i mean it, it does seem almost kind of iconic because it's got you know all the main character designs of the the new batman adventures basically you know it's got you know batman batgirl the tim drake you know little robin and nightwing all on the cover and then it's like this sort of green serpent with all the floating heads of all the villains and everything and like part of me is like oh i'm sure i had that in my collection at some point but when i actually read this story i felt like i was reading it for the first time so i started to question like i'm like Maybe I just saw that at Comics Inc. and Overland a bunch, you know, because they, you know, I know you were saying that they, your comic store didn't really cater to, like, the young readers or whatever, like, that kind of idea. But, like, I, I remember that store in Overland Comics Inc. when it was still operating was, like, it would have, you know, all the you know, standard, you know, Marvel, DC, independent stuff that came out on Wednesdays. But there was, like, a whole separate shelf where it was like, oh, this is like, you know, here's the Powerpuff Girl comics and the Scooby-Doo comics and the Archie comics. And usually stuff like Batman Adventures or, you know, whatever the current thing was, you know, maybe, you know, Brave and the Bold comics or, you know, that that kind of notion, you know, the more reader-friendly for kids type comics where, you know, Catwoman's not stooping Batman on a rooftop or whatever, you know, it's like these, these are okay to give to little Jimmy, basically it was section is what it was. And like, I, you know, I've noticed that certain stores do cater to that and, and do carry those, those books. So maybe I just remembered the cover just from its prominent placement on the shelf or whatever, you know, but yeah. I, I was like sitting there going, I don't remember the story per se, but I mean, I, I thought it was fun to see, like, I mean, it didn't seem outrageous, you know, the reasoning of why all those characters came together and everything. Yeah, so, no, like yeah. I, that, that part, like I was okay with it. It's just like the, the part where Batman's like, you know, Joker's totally secure. If I just like handcuff. Right, right. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was like, totally, yeah. yeah, I was totally laughing about that. I mean, that, that, you know, to me is like one of those things where it's like, you know, you, you, you can't help but think of the killing joke, you know, like anytime yeah. Barbara Gordon and the Joker have like some kind of interaction after that, that I got, like, even even if it has nothing to do with that continuity, you know. I got I got a kind of sick laugh too about why the Joker killed that guy's son. Where like like there's this while while like Batman's capturing him, like there's this big news report on a big TV in like the city square or whatever, and it's like you know that so and so's son was murdered, and like the Joker like looks up at the TV and he's like, he had it coming. He splashed mud on my walking shorts. Like like I thought that was pretty funny. What did you think of the part i thought it was interesting like I, I think it was just the joker trying to get in batman's head but like he's like well while batman's on the computer the joker's like rambling on in the background 
and he sort of says like here's here's something i've been saving up to tell like hit you with like all this time i've been letting you win like you know because it's you know it's no fun if you beat me or whatever so i like obviously you know i I don't think that's true but like i thought it was an interesting scene between the two of them i i think the me from maybe 1998 would have been like no way dude batman is awesome but I think like the me now might be kind of like, yeah, that's right. Joker can kick your ass anytime he wants. You stupid flying rat, you know, like, like, <laughs> you know, like, cause, cause you get pissed off at all the, you know, bat God stuff that's going on and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, like clearly like, you know, th- 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 they're, they're playing with the elements. I mean, it, it does seem to evoke kind of like that whole conversation they have and say like, you know, Nolan's dark Knight, where he's like, you know, he's like, I don't want to kill you. Like I- I'm like a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't even know what to do when I got there, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing where he's just, he- he's just happy to play the game. And it's like, why, why would I, you know, why would I, basically it's kind of like why would i turn off my console that's ridiculous like i'm having fun you know so i mean there is that notion to it where you know that does seem that does seem sort of plausible although you know obviously the joker has a big ego and lots of hubris too so you you take that into account it's like one of those guys that you know comes into the room and is like i banged so many chicks and i'm the greatest and i did this and that and you you know why i'm special it's because of this and aren't i the best and all that kind of stuff and yeah you know so so i think i think it's a balance between all those things you probably take into account but but it's a good it's a good scene to point out i mean as far as that goes i mean it it definitely is an interesting dynamic and and it's probably stuff that would always come up in a in a Batman Joker type story, you know, it, it, it's definitely a, a cool moment between the two of them. I always liked the, like, I do, I, I went through like a phase like some years ago where I was kind of like looking up like all these like animated tie in comics. So I, I like, I, I really enjoy them, especially like the people who get like it very close to like the, the like Bruce Tim style. Cause it, it's kind of like I said, it's kind of like watching an episode of the cartoon, like in a, in a, like, you know, or reading an episode of the cartoon cartoon basically in comic form so like i enjoy these yeah i mean especially if you if you enjoy the series it's almost like you you know it's like when you if you didn't play that batman video game like they kind of consider that one i think it's was it on like sega or something the sega saturn oh like that lost episode yeah Yeah. it's like it's like how they consider it a lost episode it's almost like every time you read one of these kind of tie-in comics it's like you're finding lost episodes you know if, if, if it's the first time you're discovering yeah it. so and i mean uh, you know for the most part like it's kind of like when we we did those those superman adventure comics i mean they're all pretty fun and good romps and stuff like that and i mean you know you you, you kind of got to take it with tongue-in-cheek the whole you know comics code approved you know we we don't kill the joker thing and that's the the moral of the story and all that kind of stuff at the end i mean you know it's you know me i mean you know we'll we'll, we'll get to my book eventually so i'll i'll be happy with that but you know it, this this kind of scenario it, it seems standard for something like that that's you know code approved and within the you know the the time frame and everything it's not about you know people you know taking people out it's just about you know oh justice is served and you know carry on gothamites and all that kind of stuff so no sore losers (laughs) hey i don't get it 
You just knocked out Catwoman and left her? Oh, come on, Crockers. Didn't I say there's more than one way to get someone? Even as I speak, Catwoman is being trussed up at the Pussykin's Pet Food Factory. First thing tomorrow, I'm sending a lovely case of cat food to Batman. <laughs> All right, so I think that wraps up what we wanted to discuss about Batman Gotham Adventures. It may be worth noting that there are 60 issues of this title, of this kind of second series, as Mike was saying. So if you're interested in it, there's, there's plenty of other issues to check out. But we were checking out the first issue. But we will move on to the next comic book that we've got picked out. And this was a pick from Justin, and it's going to be Batman issue 471. So I'll let you take it away, sir, and tell us about where you found this comic and, and why you're bringing it to the table. So kind of like Mike, I, I also knew about comic stores when I was a kid, but I didn't get to go to them very often. Like, I very rarely would, you know, visit them on a regular basis. So my main source of buying comics as a kid was the local Piggly Legally. And usually on Saturdays, I would go down there with my mother, and while she was buying groceries, I would be sitting at the magazine stand. And there was this big magazine stand, and there was you know all kinds of magazines I would flip through, like Starlog or Fangora. But there was also like a lot of comics, and there was also, I, I want to say like two big spinner racks. And I, I know some of the earliest comics I bought there was stuff like, hot stuff like i specifically remember buying a couple issues of hot stuff and some some archies and this issue of batman it's you know ever since derek like pitched this idea to us this spinner rack thing like i've, I've been like you know plumbing the depths of my brain to like trying to figure out like is is this the first batman comic like that you know that i ever bought and like i'm not sure if it is but it's it has to be pretty close because I don't have a whole lot of memory of like reading a lot of Batman stuff before this. Like I, I know I did, but I probably it, you know it was probably stuff that was given to me by like relatives or you know getting something for you know Christmas or, or for a birthday or something. This is this is this probably is one of the first Batman comics I read because a lot of the times like I would just sit there and just you know. Basically, I would burn steel, like, whatever was there, like, if it was, like, X-Men, Spider-Man, you know, I, like, I burned stole a ton of, like, Catwoman comics. Like, I don't think I've ever bought a Catwoman comic, but I've, like, burned stole a whole ton of them, like, for, for obvious reasons. If this was the Phantom Menace video game, all the Jawas would be running around going, Burn Stealer! Burn Stealer! <laughs> I've, I've always wondered if, if John Byrne, like, goes into stores, like, comic stores, and, like, slaps comics out of little kids' hands or something and saying, and is like, pay for that, you little scumbag. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you got to practice what you preach. So, I mean... Uh. Like Derek said, my issue is Batman Volume 1, number 471. It has a publishing date of November 1991, so I would have been probably eight years old, I think. And the title of this story is Requiem for a Killer, 
It's written by Alan Grant and drawn by Norm Brayfogel. And the basic story is Killer Croc is living in the sewers with a group of homeless people. And he's helping them by uh, stealing food and like giving them like TVs and stuff like that. Basically, he's like, he's, he's leaving... He's living a pretty peaceful life. He's like, it's like he's trying to turn his life around. And of course, like Batman's on the case. He's trying to figure out like who broke into the mall and like stole all this stuff. And he, he finds a secret passage into the sewers and Robin like provides him with like all these computerized like, you know, details of the underground system. And he also informs him that like due to some due to some upgrades, the, the tunnels that he's in, they're about to be flooded due to like some new construction project and also like Batman has Ace the Bat Hound with him and he's kind of like you know sniffing like a piece of like cloth and he eventually leads Batman to this lair where Croc and the other homeless people are and Batman and Killer Croc have a, a brief battle but as the tunnel begins to flood they use rival fusion to prevent the weak wall from completely collapsing but in the end the wall collapses and Killer Croc is swept away and all his homeless friends they basically assume he's dead and that's that's the that's the basic issue and like this like I had no idea who Killer Croc was before I ever you know read this but like I guess I guess in my head like I kind of saw him as something like the Wolfman or something like someone who like turned into a monster but like they like didn't want to be a monster because it seemed like you know in, in the opening you have like this great sequence where it looks like he's being electrocuted and you have like this like distorted demonic batman like looming over killer croc and he's laughing at him you know it's like giving him another million rounds and you know like killer croc is like breaking free but it's basically a nightmare so like I, I think as a kid, I just assumed he was kind of like, you know, the Wolfman or someone who, like, didn't want to be a monster. And I thought that was interesting, or or at least, you know, what I thought was his backstory in my head was, like, interesting to me. But, like, you know, now I know a little bit better, I guess. And, like, I, I did have a question for, like, Derek, because I'm sure he'll know more about Killer Croc's history than I would. But, like, in in this issue, like, going back and reading this, I noticed, you know, like, Killer Croc basically looks humanoid. I mean, he's obviously, you know, not human, but he's, you know, he has a humanoid shape. But, like, at, at what point did they start drawing him as, like, this huge, like, monster with a snout? Like, do you... Do you uh, know? I, I blame Jim Lee and Hush. I oh, mean, that, okay. that's, that's who I'd probably pin the blame on, like, because that's... That basically, I, I mean, I know, I know, I've I've ranted and raved about Hush in the past on the yeah. show, but like that's that's one of the many reasons where you're like, you know, like like for for me, like it'd be one of those things where it's like, why does Killer Croc look like a demonite? You know, it's like because Jim Lee's drawing him. You know, like it was just kind of like the the tack that he seemed to take with it. And I think based on that, then you started getting like some of the Mattel toys that looked like that. And I, I'd say probably like his look in Beware the Batman, maybe, you know, like, or not Beware the Batman. What was the one? The Batman. Like his look in that animated show seemed a bit more like that, I think, you know, like, so, because for the most part, I mean, like the, the original appearance of Killer Croc and all through you know, to this point, it's not like he really ever had a tail. Do you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't, like, really a crocodile. He was, like, a dude that had, like, you know, basically, like, 
facial problems and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, basically it was almost like he got the nickname. Do you know what I mean? He looked like a crocodile. Do you know what I mean? But, but it wasn't like so much like he literally was like, you know, I don't know, some kind of, you know, mutated thing or whatever. So, so was there ever like an in-universe reason for the change? Or was it just like, you just supposed to like assume that like at some point he went under some like transformation? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'd probably have to research that part of it. I don't know if anybody ever tried to like, yeah, cause burn, like, burn clever, clever Jimmy's, <laughs> yeah, because like, like art style change. Now it, nowadays it's like he's the lizard or something. He's yeah, like a yeah. in the Arkham games, he's like a giant mutated like alligator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to to burn clever, clever cornrows cousins it up or whatever. You know, like I, I'm not really sure about that part of it. I, I know I, I have my old man rants about how, you know, Killer Croc used to be like Bane and he was called King Croc and he made the Joker and all the Gotham people piss their pants in his first appearance. And I mean, he was he was like king shit for a little while. And then all of a sudden, you know, like all the, the kind of smart big bruisers that present a big problem for Batman at first, whether it's like Croc or KG Beast or Bane, they all start out really cool. And then every subsequent appearance they get dumber and dumber and dumber until the point where it's like Croc's like, I'm Killer Croc. I threw a rock at him, you know? And, and it's like, basically he's, he's a complete moron by that point. And th- this was somewhere in between that. Like, I, I feel like this was kind of, kind of before that really took place, you know, because he's, but, but it, it does have that trope of, of having the first, like, I, I feel like this is one of the first comics I've read where, you know, a writer tried to make you feel sorry for the bad guy, if that makes any sense. You know, right. like, I like I mean, and, and I mean, you know, what regardless of what your feelings are, I mean, it, it definitely seems to play into the whole, you know, help the homeless kind of trope that was going on. And sometimes it can be done well, and sometimes it can be done really horribly. But I mean, I think in this case, it was done fairly well. I mean, they, they don't necessarily try to offer any grand magnanimous solutions to the problem you just see that you know waylon jones is you know a tortured individual like the flashbacks are to him getting like electroshock therapy in arkham asylum and he sort of you know mistakenly blames batman for it obviously they they've softened him up a great deal because i mean at some point he was you know killer croc you know like he was king croc he tried to run a criminal organization but at this point he's a little more kind of you know he's getting to be that big dumb docile guy and you know the 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 characters that are probably the nicest in the group are what do they call her aunt mary the the black woman and the the little black kid that's got the dog spot yeah. and i guess ace the bat hound has that like <laughs> badass <laughs> moment where he he saves the dog spot from all these like vicious sewer rats and i'm like where are all the man of steel haters to complain about how ace like totally broke um some sewer rats necks or whatever like i don't <laughs> like, see them where are they you know but but you know and and i was just like you know he's pretty he's pretty badass and everything and then they track you know of course they track him down you know through because the spot belongs to the the little black homeless kid and everything and those seem to be the two characters that are really nice but meanwhile it's like this whole community of homeless guys and some of them are like really you know, shady customers where it's like Paul Reiser in Alien where they're just like, dude, man, once we got all the TVs and the 
the microwave dinners and everything he helped us rip off. Like, let's turn him into the cops, man. He he freaks me out, dude. He's got like green scales and stuff. He's weird. Like, let's let's throw him in jail once once we have our bellies fill and we've got a nice little setup with a, a Lex Luthor, you know, sewer apartment or whatever is going on here. Like speaking of Ace the Bat Hound, like I, I remember when uh, Batman Beyond premiered and like I mean like I thought it was awesome, but then like some of my friends like they were like, yeah, that was awesome, but they were like, why does Batman have a dog? Like, for some reason, they thought that was lame. And, like, I knew of Ace the Bat-Hound, like, you know, from this book, but I also knew he existed, you know, like, you know, in the 60s and the 50s and all that stuff. So I was, like, I was defending Ace the Bat-Hound. I was like, no, like, Ace the Bat-Hound was cool. Like, he, he's been around for a long time. And they're like, yeah, there was a lot of, like, lame Silver Age stories. I was like... Well, no, like, he was, like, you know, I was trying to tell them about this issue. I was, like, you know, I was, like, he, he's not, like, some stupid, like, dog in the bat costume. I was, like, he's, like, you know, basically, I was, like, basically, it's Lassie. If Batman had Lassie, I was, like, Ace is cool. Like, leave, I was, like, leave Ace alone. He's cool. Yeah, I, I like, I like Ace, and this is, this is basically, like, the post-crisis Ace. You, it's not, like, like you're saying, it's not, it's not necessarily the Silver Age Ace where he gets, like, zapped by, like, magic and he starts <laughs> flying around and, like, shooting flames out of his mouth and all this kind of, like, crazy Silver Age stuff, which is fine. I love that, too, but, but he, he is different. Like you said, he's not, he's not in a mask, you know, he's just a straight up, you know, cool dog that is a partner of Batman's. But it, it's interesting because this is that weird period where, like, even in the beginning, like, you know, Croc clearly has ripped off, like, a mall full of, like, you know, whether it's, like, food or, or televisions or whatever, he's brought back to this little, you know, hideaway where he's got his, his friends and community and everything, you know, hidden underground. Like... Batman talks to the security guards kind of like he's Adam West, you know, kind of like mm, he's still stuck yeah. in that friend of the policeman mode. It's not like it's not like he's the Grim Avenger where the security guards are like, oh, shit, dude, that guy's scary. It's more like, well, gentlemen, like, I will show you down the stairs and there's this hidden door, you know, and, and, and like, they're, they're all like, wow, Batman, there is a hidden door. We didn't even know that. And he's <laughs> like, and I'll totally track down what was stolen and I'll do my best, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, yeah. and you're like, oh, okay. Like, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where, like, I think I sort of grew up on this Batman per se, and he looked cool. I mean, he, he, Norm Brayfogle obviously is a wonderful artist. I mean, he yeah. looked super badass. Like, he's got the pointy ears and the, the great cape, and he had the look, and, you know, obviously this was after the 1989 Batman, so I'm sure they didn't want to evoke any stigma that was, that, that would come from, you know, the, the original that six, just Ace? Six series. That was Ace. <laughs> he's, he's 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 going after uh he's going after killer croc and saving spot from from crazy rats i think i guess it, i mean it might be worth mentioning you know in this like beyond just being like the friend of the policeman or whatever like batman's not like the bat god in this i mean when he fights with killer croc i mean it, it's pretty clear he's gonna lose the fight like, his, his mouth is bloody, he's getting choked out like a bitch. Like, if it wasn't for the fact that that the 
the, the new water tunnels were opening and that this little hideaway was going to be flooded and Batman sort of pleading with Croc, like, look, we have to stop fighting. We have to do, you know, the rival fusion, you know, to, to save everybody. Like, I, I you, you get the idea Batman would have lost the fight. Whereas I think today in today's day and age, you know, especially, you know, post-Morrison, post, you know, JLA, JLU cartoons and all this other stuff, people are just you know, outrageously, you know, Batman wouldn't, Batman would use gas bombs and he, blah, 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 and he, you know, fart in Croc's face and then Croc would be blinded, you know, and, and it's like, you know, they come up with all this stupid shit, but in this, I mean, it's like, look, he's fighting the good fight. I mean, he's trying to help. He's trying to track down Croc. He's trying to see that, you know, these people don't get harmed by Croc if he loses control, but also, you know, try to return, you know, the stolen goods and all that other stuff, right? But, you know, when push comes to shove, he's not going to, I mean, uh, he's obviously physically outclassed, you know, Croc is stronger than he is. That's why he was such a cool threat when he first showed up on the scene, because not only was he physically more imposing than Batman, but he was just as smart as Batman. And then, of course, most of these physically imposing guys like KG Beast and Bane, eventually, to sort of balance things out, they get dumber and dumber and dumber, so that Batman, basically, his trump card is that, you know, he's, he's smarter than them, you know, basically. But in this sense, I mean, Batman's not trying to cheat him out of the victory or anything like that. He's just, he's legitimately pointing out, hey, look, like, this... This is bad news, man. These water tunnels, you know, you, you didn't take that into account. You were you were sort of smart, Croc. You got these people to a sewer and, and you thought you were going to be living the good life, but you, you didn't take into account that these new water tunnels that you didn't know about are going to flood them out. So it's like we got to get all these these people out and everything. And and like, you, you know what else was was interesting was like and I don't know if this is something that occurred to you guys, but. Like, this kind of reminded me, like, because I, I mentioned this briefly, but, like, this kind of trope of, like, you know, help the homeless or whatever. It's, like, it's the early 90s, so this is going on, and, it, like, there were there was this storyline in The Incredible Hulk. It was issues 383 and 384, and I don't know if you guys have ever read this or not, but it's during the Peter David Dale Keown run, and one of the issues actively ties into the Infinity Gauntlet. And it's basically when, like, Thanos, like, shrinks Hulk down to, like, tiny size or whatever. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's about, it's about four months before this story comes out. But, and it's not exactly the same, but, I mean, pretty much, it's the abomination. It's a oh, giant... Yeah. he's, like, like, in the sewer or yeah, something. It's, yeah, it's a tiny green monster. He lives in the sewer. He lives with a bunch of homeless people. You know, he's been disfigured at this point because he had a bunch of acid thrown in his face or whatever. But, I mean, and, and you know, the reason why he comes up out of the sewer is because he loves this Russian stage actress who he knew back when he was Emil Blonsky. And then he, you know, I guess, you know, the, the moons are in alignment because all this stuff happens and he's able to sort of abduct her without anybody noticing but the Hulk. And then the Hulk, as he's tiny, you know, he pretends to be like the voice of God yeah. and, like, you know, does a thunderclap in, in Abomination's ear and all this other stuff. And I mean, it, it's not quite the same. It's got that kind of Peter David whimsy, you know, it's, it's not, it, it's got some of that sappy stuff and some of that stuff that's designed to make you feel a little sorry for Emil Blonsky. But it's it's a little it's a little tongue in cheek when Peter David does it. When when Alan Grant writes this story, it's it's kind of sad. Like you you actively sort of feel sad for Killer Croc. Like he literally lost his life saving 
the the lady and the boy and and all the homeless people and you know the the only thing that was really calming him down was this lady aunt mary singing songs to him and at the end they sing him one last song and you're like oh that's kind of you know you, you you basically i mean it it it's specifically designed to make you go oh and you 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 kind of do that unless you're like a heartless prick, I suppose. You know what I mean? Like so, I mean, and and it did make me think of that. I mean, you know, and and those are examples of I think stories that dealt with that. I, I don't know. I feel bad, but I I feel like it's like a fad. You know, the help the homeless fad or whatever. You know, like like where it was like this big yes. movement or social commentary or whatever. It was like every, but, every every year in the 90s was like a different fad, like help the environment and then it's like yeah, help the homeless, like war and, on drugs, like you know yeah. whatever. And it's like I think these stories were pretty good about it, but then it's like it's like one of those things where it's like, well, I could tell you like, you know, remember the the Batman the animated series episode The Forgotten, like the most boring episode of Batman the animated series <laughs> ever, where you know, it's like, oh, look, Bruce Wayne got kidnapped and he's pretending to be homeless or you know what or he lost his memory or however that stupid story goes and it's like everybody'll tell you like that's one of the worst episodes of Batman the animated series and it's because they were trying to push something. It's like, it's oh, we, you know, Fox Kids or, or whatever, the network's like, we got to do a Help the Homeless episode. And it's like, and of course that turned into, you know, they, they tried to make the best of it that they could. But I think even the people that were creating that episode agreed it was, it was clunky and, and not. Wasn't there like a, like the whole soundtrack was like harmonica, like yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's all I remember uh, about that episode. You know, yeah. Or, or like, or you know, dare I say it? You know, we got you know Venom Lethal Protector helping the homeless in San Francisco, right? I mean, you know, like there there are those versions of it where you're like, oh man, like Lethal Protector, <laughs> like what? So I, I mean, you know, those are some things that it sort of reminded me of. I, I know you said Piggly Wiggly was where you bought this. So is yeah. that am am I because I'm not familiar with that? Is that like a a chain of like grocery stores or something? Yeah, well, it, it used to be a chain. Like, I, all the ones around here were bought out by Food City. Um, okay. But, like, a few years ago, like, I was in New Orleans and I saw a Piggly Wiggly. So I was like, hey, there's, they, like, they're still around, like, sparsely. But, but like, that was in 2008. So I don't know if they're, like, a couple still in existence or not. Yeah, because I, I, I think I could tell you guys for sure. Because I, I have distinct memories of this comic. Because, one, it stood out to me. Like, I remember when Justin was trying to think of it, I thought of it as well right away. Because I didn't remember the exact number, but I, I remembered the story he was talking about. Because it, it did have an impact. I mean, it certainly is, you know, in its own way, it's memorable and touching. And, you know, makes for a good story. And obviously it had a good, you know, writer and art combo and everything like that. But... Like, the other thing I remember about it was, you know, by this point, I was certainly buying comics at my local comic shop. I mean, this was 1991, so I was way into going to the comic stores when new comics came out. And this I bought at my local comic shop, which was Comic Zone. And, of course, that was in Fremont, California. And, of course, that's long gone. Like, that doesn't even exist anymore. But, I mean, I still drive past where it used to be do you know what i mean like and and stuff like that so it's kind of it's kind of funny because uh looking at these a, a lot of these issues got me thinking of the stores that i used to go to that don't exist like in in the case of the gotham adventures it was comics inc on overland and then w what i noticed when i was looking it up is eventually that store got 
bought by some other store called Comic Bug. And, like, I was reading it, and it's like, Comic Bug's been around for 10 years, and we're proud to, you know, take over ownership. And all I could think of is, I never went to a store called Comic Bug when I was in Los Angeles, but I realized they were saying, like, we've been in business for the last 10 years. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, it's been, like, almost that long. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm, like, 2016, 2006. So I'm, like, sitting there going, like, Oh, well, I, I, I might have been in L.A. for a year or two more, but it's entirely conceivable. I've never stepped into the comic bug, but they've been around for 10 years. So it's like funny to think of stuff like that, you know, to me where I'm like, oh, man, you know, like and, and it, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, th- to some people, the regional stuff might not be, you know, it might not mean anything personal to them. But I, I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, that was you know, for me, Comic Zone was the direct market shop from my childhood, basically, you know, like, and and that was something I thought was, was worth mentioning. You mentioned the Bat God, and like, you know, you know, we've discussed like recent Batman stories here on the show, and like, s- some of them I like, some of them I, I really don't like, so it it's, it's I, I guess, refreshing to read something where batman is not you know all-knowing and all-powerful and you know a while back my awesome thing of the week was a trade called tales of the batman gene cohen and like that that kind of got me into like wanting to read more classic 70s and 80s stuff or, or basically anything pre-bat god so like i'm, I'm kind of like re- rediscovering some of these stories and like some of them i've never read and some of them i'm like oh yeah i, I kind of remember that so like i'll just I'll just uh, like continue to profess my love for anything like pre Bat God. Like I think it's I think it's like really great, especially you know considering some of the like recent Bat stuff that I think is like really overrated. And like that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> no, yeah, that, I think that's fair. I think I think at least you know you and me we see eye to eye on that kind of thing. I I, I think I think Tony's also fond of. I, I think he always sort of apologizes for me in a way where he's like, yeah, I know you like Batman, dude, but you just don't like when they, you know, have him go out of control with the, you know, the, the overpowered stuff, you know, like, and, and it, you know, to some degree, I, I never correct him because, I mean, in some ways he's kind of right. I mean, I do, I do like reading these old stories, whether it's like Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers or, you know, Norm Brayfogle, Alan Grant, or like you're saying, the, the Gene Colan stuff, you like, you know, all that stuff is kind of like, oh, yeah, like, at least at this point, he wasn't, you know, it's not like he was this outrageous you know, infallible thing that, you know, could just do whatever, you know, basically, you know, and, and you know, nowadays it's kind of like, you, you know, you start arguing with somebody about who could win against who in a fight. And, you know, it's like that kind of ridiculous notion from certain subsects of fanboys. And I know, cause I feel like I used to be one of them. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that, that's kind of why I said, you know, Oh, maybe in 1998, I would have been like, Oh yeah, Batman totally owns this guy, you know, but you know, in, in you know, now it's like in hindsight, I'm kind of like, oh, well, you know, that was kind of dumb and, you know, it's like that you don't sort of appreciate that, you know, certain things are are done in a certain way and they create tension and and all that other kind of stuff. It, it's like what you said, it's like what did Batman do during Crisis on Infinite Earth? He sat there and watched. <laughs> Well, you know, like to me, I always like to say he's like, "Let's pray, Robin." You know, like, like, and it's like, dude, like that's that's it. That's all he you can crapped do. his pantaloons. <laughs> no, that. Oh, sorry, that was the Kevin Smith story, not Rush Rush. Most fun I've had since my last root canal. Well, gang, 
Guess I'll be seeing. Dream on, dirtbag. Five years. You sign up for missions like this for five years. If you survive, then you go free. All right, all right. So, so okay. Now, now we're uh, you know, and and of course, just just in case anybody couldn't figure it out, Waylon Jones, Killer Croc, is in that new Suicide Squad film. So that is the the tie-in aspect to you know why that that story was picked and comic was picked. But going on to something a little more on the nose was my pick, and. It was Suicide Squad, Volume 1, Issue Number 22. And the title of that issue is Final Round. And this was originally released in November 1988. And this is kind of like a primo time for me discovering comics and everything, especially DC Comics and stuff like that. The writer was John Ostrander, who wrote all 66 issues of Suicide Squad. And the penciler was Luke McDonnell, who did a lot of the artwork on the early issues of Suicide Squad. Just to briefly discuss it, the the cover has Rick Flagg on the left side and Deadshot on the right side of a Campaign 88 podium pointing their weapons at a white-haired, mustached senator. We open on a briefing room where Amanda Waller gives the down low on Rick Flagg going AWOL to kill Derek Tolliver, the squad's former National Security Council liaison, and Senator Joe Cray, who was in cahoots with Tolliver to blackmail the squad for assistance in his upcoming re-election campaign. After some references to some previous nasty setups made for the squad in issues 5 through 7, and during a guest shot in Firestorm 64, Waller tells the squad their mission is to stop Flag from killing Tolliver and Senator Cray by any means necessary. Simon Legrieve, the squad psychiatrist, warns Waller that Deadshot is in no condition to be sent into the field after the events of his miniseries, which by this point there's been like five plugs for comic books at this point, and there's another plug for the Deadshot miniseries, in which, just in case anybody who doesn't know what had happened before this, Deadshot's own mother had his son kidnapped so he could force Floyd Lawton into killing his own father. And then the son ends up murdered and molested, and Floyd ends up shooting his mother in the spine. So at this point, like, he's, you know, th this is why the psychiatrist is like, I don't think it's a good idea to send him into the field right now. Flo Crawley, the squad's computer tech and Waller's cousin, tries to phone Tolliver. But it's too late for Tolliver, as the police already find him shot dead. In Washington, D.C., after being dropped off by their pilot, Briscoe, Bronze Tiger functions as field leader and orders Vixen to track Flag's scent. Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, and Duchess break off from the main group to hunt Flag. Bronze Tiger, Vixen, Nemesis, Black Orchid, and Shade the Changing Man want to reach Flag to bring him back alive and before those others get to him. One of the cops gives Lois Lane a copy of the damning expose on the Suicide Squad found in Tolliver's apartment after his murder. 
there's also like they're all kind of shrouded in darkness and stuff and it's kind of cool but perry white and jimmy olsen are there as well and it's the whole obligatory don't call me chief type stuff deadshot finds flag at the lincoln memorial with senator cray in his sights and nemesis thinks on how he owes rick flag a fellow soldier for breaking him out of a russian gulag when looking around the vietnam memorial and that's actually a callback to the Justice League Suicide Squad crossover where they, they fight one another and stuff. The greatest moment comes when Deadshot prevents Flag from killing Cray by shooting the senator himself. Floyd at this point has officially lost it and tells Flag to vamoose. When the police arrive moments later, Deadshot makes a Butch and Sundance last stand against them. He's hit multiple times, but one of the officers mentions that he is still alive. Later, Waller sees Talaton in his recovery room. Despite all that has happened, the Suicide Squad is publicly exposed by the news media. Luckily, this leads directly into the DC event invasion, and Amanda Waller mentions to the Bell Reeve prison warden, John Economos, that this at least has knocked the squad scandal far away from the headlines. So, just my quick thoughts. I do know for a fact that this is the first Suicide Squad book that I ever bought. I know that I purchased it at a quick stop off a spinner rack, and this was like a few stores down for where my mom would get her nails done by one of her friends, Joan. And like, I was like a kid, so like at that point I had to sort of go along with her when she went to these things and so like I was usually kind of bored and stuff and I remember like reading like crazy stuff like I remember when when Batman the movie came out I remember being in there and reading like National Enquirer because it was there but they had some crazy story about what the next Batman movie sequel was gonna be like and like it was bullshit but like i thought it was real like because i was a kid and i didn't know the national Enquirer was like complete bullshit and so i was like oh this is what the next batman movie is gonna be like and it was like it was like this funny ass thing where it's like and then like you know vicky vale and my you know michael keaton and kim basinger like they have a bat baby and the bat baby and the joker comes back to life and it's like how does the joker come back to life it's like he can't die unless you have his entire deck of cards together and it's like when he fell off that building some of the cards were missing you know like and it's just like what and then it's like and then you know and, and it's like i was kind of believing it you know because i was like oh this sounds pretty legit but then it gets to the point where it's like and then king tut egghead catwoman and like the penguin show up and i was just like wait a minute like this this doesn't sound right you know like, i'm all king tut's not like a really for reals comic character i'm, all just, Burton's king tut. <laughs> I'm like this can't be real but anyway like like basically these were the things i did to keep myself occupied while while my mom was getting her nails done so a lot of the times i would just run down to the quick stop and get whatever comics were there and i know for sure like this one the suicide squad issue number 22 was one of the first issues of suicide squad i ever read the only thing that i'm sort of like because i i know you said justin you were like racking your brain you know trying to dig into the depths of your memory to figure out like you know certain comics and stuff and like this i'm not sure about like i don't know if this is the first time i ever read about deadshot or not 
like when when I looked at the the dates, I know I read Deadshot one and two also from this quick stop, but if I look at the dates, supposedly Deadshot one was on sale July nineteen eighty eight, and this was on sale in November nineteen eighty eight. So it, it going by that. I'm I'm guessing maybe I read Deadshot one first, but I feel like I read this first and then I read the Deadshot miniseries. But like I said, I guess my mind could be playing tricks on me. And then the the next time I remember reading about Deadshot specifically, and and this would make sense, is after this issue was I read the greatest Batman stories ever told, and in that, like that had. Yeah, you know, a reprint of Detective Comics 474, which was, you know, it wasn't Deadshot's first appearance, but it was like the first time he appeared in his traditional kind of garb, where he had the orange suit and the silver pieces and the the wrist magnums and the the red eyepiece and everything, like basically everything that made him super cool when you were like 11 years old, basically, where you're like, this guy's badass, you know, and you're just like totally into it and everything this like i i don't know i'm, I'm kind of scared because i i know like it's me asking you guys to read something but like i totally like unabashedly love this issue like partly because it's nostalgia but also because i mean i really do think it's a great issue like it would probably go on like if i was going to do one of those james rolf like top 30 films but make like a top 30 comics like i think this would probably make that list. Like, I, I love the way this turns out. I mean, to me, Deadshot's, like, a fantastic character. And this is, like... I mean, if Deadshot is, like, Wolverine of the Suicide Squad, like, this is the moment where Wolverine's in the sewer and he kills all the Hellfire Club members that just made him, like, a breakout character or whatever. Like, this, to me, like, just, you know, makes him super awesome because... He he basically is pulling, like, a cool Captain Kirk maneuver. I mean, the whole point was that they were supposed to go out and stop Rick Flagg from killing the senator, and everybody's like, oh, geez, like, we don't want to kill Rick Flagg. He's, like, the leader. He's the Cyclops of our team. Like, he's been a good guy to all of us. Like, nobody really wants to kill him except for the really, really scummy bad guys like Captain Boomerang and, I guess, Deadshot, you know? Like, that's that's kind of the take they give on it and everything. But it's like even in that scene, like, he pulls the Kirk maneuver and is like, dude, I totally, I totally followed orders. And they're like, <laughs> of course, Amanda Waller's like, you shot the fucking senator, you know? And he's like, you didn't tell me I couldn't do that. Like, you just said that I had to stop Flag from shooting him. And that's how I did it, you know? <laughs> like, he's like, I don't like to lose, you know, or whatever. But it's like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I love that, that moment. I think it's great. And I think, I mean, I, I hope it's a decent introduction to the characters. I mean, you you can sort of see Amanda Waller as like this hard-nosed wheeler dealer who, you know, she keeps secrets. She does whatever she needs to do to, to have control of the situation. And you can see like, you know, Boomerang and Deadshot are kind of more shady and that Duchess has this mysterious agenda. And of course, that's this cool long-running subplot that is paid off marvelously when you actually, you know, when, when everything is said and done. And, you know, of course, you've got, like, Bronze Tiger and Vixen and Nemesis, and they're sort of more heroic, you know? They, they, they're they the kind of guys who are, you know, hurting all the bad guys and everything like that. And I think, like, 
it also has a lot of personal meaning to me because I think there's that scene where Nemesis is walking down the Vietnam Memorial. And like, I know it's probably maybe John Ostrander inserting maybe some of his own social commentary in it. But for me, it, the Vietnam Memorial means something different because my dad was a Vietnam vet and I went down with him to the wall when we were in Washington, D.C. together. So for me, it's like they drew a parallel to sort of like the honor and duty and sacrifice that a character like Rick Flagg made for his team being a U.S. soldier and compared it to the people that sacrificed whether they were on the wall or not. So, so to me, it's like a character like Rick Flagg, not, not only is he the Cyclops archetype that I know me and Mike like, and I know Justin not so much, but, but not only does he fit that mold, but he also sort of gets instant props as, you know, being that type of character who, you know, is enveloped in duty and honor. I mean, you know, you could call it like the Leonardo type too, you know, like, you know, Cyclops, Leonardo, Prowl, whatever. Like he's, he's those, you know, he's that leader type character and everything. And so, of course, he, that character too gets a lot of love from me. And it seems like Flag and... Deadshot are both the focus of, of this story. So, I mean, I, I, I guess I could keep gushing about it all day, but I mean, I'm, I am kind of curious. I know, I know Mike's read this, so I, I know you, you haven't been entirely favorable in terms of, I mean, I know you read the Janus Directive and it wasn't quite your thing, but I, I am kind of curious what you thought of this since uh, obviously I sort of unabashedly love it so much and, and you, you know, are of course free to you know, have a different take on it, but but I am anticipating your thoughts with with bated breath. Yeah, like I thought this was pretty cool. Like uh, I did, I did. You did have me read some of like Ostrander's like Suicide Squad, and like this had a kind of similar flavor. But I like this. I mean, you told me about this moment and like how cool you thought it was, and I agree. Like uh, I do like that. You know, he he kills the guy that you know Flag's gonna kill, and Waller's like, "What the hell did you do?" And he's like, "You didn't tell me, like you didn't say specifically that I couldn't kill him, like Mama Waller, like like that that that's pretty cool, like uh, like I, I I liked it for the most part." Cool. Yeah. I don't know. It's funny. It's like one of those things where like, you know, you have like this weird sort of personal connection to the comic. And then it's like if somebody like poo poos on it, then you're like, no, you know, it's like when Justin was saying, like, leave Ace alone, you know, and stuff. So, I mean, I I, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, you know, like that would probably be my go to comic if I had to pick like one standout issue of Suicide Squad. I mean, but I, I do think all 66 issues are are pretty awesome and everything. So, I mean, if you if you like anything that of what I was saying, I mean, you know, the the other thing that that was fun for me was I I just kind of reviewed like the Deadshot miniseries in case I, you know, forgot anything and everything and and you know, speaking to Mike's pick in the beginning and and kind of how it has that sort of sense of of the comics code approved morality going on in it, like this is clearly you know, uh, you know, obviously they, they, they kind of tried to cover themselves by saying, you know, Deadshot obviously is somebody who's a, a sociopath and he doesn't really care about human life. 
But I got to tell you, like, sometimes when there are those scenes where it's like, oh, you're a pedophile, you molested my son, I'm shooting you in the leg, I'm shooting you in the other leg, I'm shooting you in the arm, and guess what? Now I'm shooting you in the fucking head. And it's just like, okay, good. Like, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I kind of dig that stuff as opposed to, you know, getting a, a sense of satisfaction out of it. Or, like, even even some of the stuff that's kind of funny is in that miniseries, you know, there's this character called the Panther. Like, it's not like the Black Panther, but it's like Panther with an A. And he's supposed to be this this badass, like, sniper character or whatever. But, like, it kind of cracks me up because they, they build him up and build him up. And then, like, Deadshot just kind of walks to the tape player. And the, the guy's trying to track him. And he doesn't realize he's already walked to the tape player. And by the time he gets him in his sights, like, Deadshot's already shot him. Like, and he just falls off the balcony and stuff. So it's, like, stuff like that, like... You know, Black Orchid, like, I, I specifically remember in the opening scene, there's this great bit where he basically, like, sort of goes undercover, and he worms his way onto a plane with this crime boss that is, you know, basically always in the air and stuff like that, and there's this sequence where they're like, you know, well, you know, no one can ever touch me because I'm in this plane, you know, jefe, and... You know, if if a bullet goes off in it, like, we'll all die. So even if you try to shoot me, nobody would be crazy enough to shoot me in this plane because they'd die. And Deadshot's response is just like, so? And then they all fucking shit their pants because they realize what he's about to do. And he just starts shooting up the fucking plane. And then he just jumps out of it. And he doesn't care if he, like, falls to his death at that point. But then Black Orchid kind of grabs him. So, I mean, I always thought of it like, you know, like when Wolverine would, like, jump out of planes and, like, Rogue would catch him or something. You know, it, it always had that same kind of vibe to me, you know, or, or whether it's, you know, like, basically Deadshot, Batman, and Wolverine are all kind of like the that guy of their team or whatever, you know? And, and like, you know, it, it's the same sequence in JLU in that cartoon episode, I think, when, like, the, the episode Warren Ellis wrote where, like, Batman, like, leaps out of the sky, and I, I forget who catches him. I think it's, like, Wonder Woman or somebody who can fly, you know, basically, and it's just like, oh, okay. It's, it, to me, it's all the same shit. It's like these guys that are so uber confident they're not going to fall to their deaths pretty much that they leap out of a you know plane in the middle of nowhere and just expect somebody to catch them like they you know and and they obviously don't soil their pants while they're doing it kevin smith they they're badass and, and keep their soils to themselves so but yeah i mean i i don't know i just you know i don't know I, I i can't i can't say enough good things about it and i was i was excited to revisit it you know it's like it's like just revisiting like cool stuff like whether it's like you know, a movie you love, like Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan or something, where you, like, you see it on Blu-ray, and you're just like, man, this is a great movie, and it's, like, the same thing with this, it's, like, reading this again for me, I'm like, man, this is, this is a great fucking comic, like, I love this, so, anyway, just wanted to share it with, with folks that, you know, may or may not have, have read it or checked it out and stuff like that. You think? You worry me sometimes. You worry too much. But I, I guess, I mean, unless there's any, any final wrap-up thoughts, I, I think this will conclude the, the segment on stories from the spinner rack. And, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe we can briefly discuss moving forward, like, some of the stuff that we might want to do on this show. But, I mean, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, like, you know, obviously, like, some stuff that we did before that we had fun with, like, comic dares, where we dared each other to read comic book series and stuff like that, or, you know, just talking about, you know, new comics, you know, whether it's, like, new comics that come out on Wednesdays, or whether we want to 
focus on like specific new story arcs that we heard are kind of cool or you know anything like that yeah I'm, I'm, i like i like that idea cool i like having a, a venue i mean obviously like you know we talk about comics on the main show or whatever but it, like having a venue that exclusively does it seems like you know like a good move i think yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've kind of been moving in that direction with most of the shows for a while, so uh, we figured we should give one exclusively to, to comic books and stuff like that. We're basically going to keep going with this, and we'll, we'll probably have another episode pretty soon. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike, signing off. And this is Justin. Top it all off, Justin sends me a email that says Colin <laughs> Bunn's writing Battlestar Galactica. You know, I was like, God damn it. I was like, Colin Bunn has come to ruin your comics. <laughs> Fear oh, him. Go away. It's like, Beware the beast, Colin Bunn, for he shall make a mockery of, of your home and theirs. <laughs> it's like, what? God damn it. Oh, I saw the headline, New Battlestar Galactica series, and I was like, oh, that's cool, because, you know, you, you guys on that podcast were just, like, questioning if, if there's going to be more, and I was like, I started reading it, and it was like, and Cullen Bunn, I was just like, <laughs> I was like, they're just going to love this. <laughs> I'm like, god damn it. Well, even that, like, IDW revolution thing, I was kind of, like, dubious about it, and I was like, oh, well, maybe it'll be okay. Oh, god, Cullen Bunn's writing the main event. Like, <laughs> That, that's that's my typical reaction now because that was what what were we talking about because i remember i had that reaction was it like spider carnage or what what did he write from the new oh, spider Man carnage books? versus deadpool that that was it and i, I remember because i remember either for the deadpool podcast or the spider-man podcast i was going through and going like oh hey what what are these haven't i read like maybe i should read up on these for that and i was just like nope goodbye <laughs> like fuck this shit like no way i'm not touching that